We're going to be back in the book of Luke in just a moment, so if you can take your Bibles and find Luke chapter 8 is where we are going to be in just a couple of moments, and uh, we're going to be looking at our next section together. Uh, Before we do that, I want to just bring a couple of things to your attention, uh, things we've been talking about, but just to remind everybody about a couple of upcoming events that will be a blessing to you, I think. I wanted to remind those of you that have expressed interest in the biblical counseling training that is going to be taking place through uh, Colonial Baptist Church Shepherd Seminary up in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, That is coming up uh, September, October, November. There are the dates for that. If you are interested in finding out more information, the website is right there, biblicalcounseling.com, and you do have to register through their website. And uh, what this is, if if this is new to you, it's a three-weekend seminar that you go up and you get training in biblical counseling. They have a number of people that come in from around the country and uh, instruct instruct on um, on the on the topic of biblical counseling. And uh, they do uh, offer a certification in biblical counseling. They're formally called NANC. uh, If you're familiar with NANC, Uh, that biblical counseling is their new is their new title. And uh, so that is there for you. If you have questions about that, you can see myself or Pastor Kyle. But again, you need to register online, biblicalcounseling.com. The other thing that's coming up, um, I was asked to uh, begin the chapels here in our high school for the first three Tuesdays, and um, I'm going to be talking about the question, can we trust the Bible? And uh, that is a, these are Sundays, if you're looking at the dates and are confused, I'm going to be doing that Tuesdays in chapels uh, beginning this Tuesday. Uh, but it is a series that I have been praying about, thinking about for really since I've been the pastor here at Grace, of putting together a series on, on the Bible, on translations, on all those things that we, we just need to understand how they work, where they come from, and all of that. And uh, can we trust the Bible? That is a big question that our culture is wrestling with. Cork Albright did a great job this morning really laying the groundwork for that and talking about the necessity to have truth and to understand truth, and is the Bible true? And so we're going to be talking about that in chapels on Tuesdays. You're always welcome to come to that, but I will be dealing with that on Sunday nights, September 6, 13, and 20. No backing out now. I've publicized that I have to do it, so uh, we will take a look at that. But the matter at hand this morning is this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 16 down through verse 21, and uh, we're going to read this a section at a time, um, and we're going to take the first section here, beginning in verse 16, says this. It says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Listen to verse 18. Take heed, therefore, how you listen. For whatsoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall it be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. We're in a room this size. We know that everyone learns differently. Everybody listens differently. Um, But if I were to choose a career, I love pastoring, don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. If I could choose a career to get paid for, it would be to perpetually go to school. I love it. 
I could just go from one degree to the next, get a degree in this, okay, what's next? I've yet to find anybody who will pay me a salary to just go to school forever. Now, I don't want to do the work anymore. I don't want to do that. But when I was in college, I remember sitting in, and remember, I grew up in high school pretty, pretty much convinced I was stupid and barely passed things by the skin of my teeth. My only goal was to be eligible for the next athletic season. Um, thought I was dumb. Thought I didn't know how to learn. Um, didn't really fully know how to read probably till the sixth or seventh grade. Um, my, my mom still struggles with reading. And so I, I didn't grow up in an educated sort of scenario and grew up believing that I was unable to learn. So when I went to college and realized that I wasn't exactly as dumb as I, as I thought, that what I would do is I would go to class and I would listen to every word the professor said. And not only that, I would have a pen in my hand and I would write down everything. I was listening. I was attentive on what he was saying or she was saying. And I would write it down and I would go back to my dorm after class and copy my notes over and over and over until I could pretty much write them by memory. So when you got to the test and the question comes up, it was like I could envision it on the page. Not because I have a photographic memory like my wife, but because, although hers is fading. <laughs> that, 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 that's from having children <laughs> and a husband. Um, I'm not as smart as her. I, I had to work, and I had to write it over and over and over, and I could take the test, and I could close my eyes, and I could see it on the page. That's listening. That's intentive. That's work. That's diligence. I had a moment in my college career that I decided I thought I wanted to major in computer sciences. And so I I had an elective to take, and one of the things I could choose from was computer science. And so I took that class, and it was pretty evident pretty early on. They were speaking a language I do not understand, care about, like, have no desire to do. And I remember sitting down one, it was an evening class, and I sat down one night, the teacher started talking. The next thing I knew, everybody's getting up and leaving. I slept through the whole thing. The old, a couple of the college kids back here went, <gasps> I did. I, I just zonked out, fell asleep. The principle is this. To be a good student, you have to be a good listener. Jesus said in verse 18, which we will get to in due time, take heed how you listen. Do you listen to God intensively? Do you listen to God with the purpose of understanding and obeying? Or do you just fall asleep and sort of check out and not really listen to what God says? Listening to people is one thing, but how do I listen to God? The parable of the sower that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the soils emphasizes the importance of how one hears. Look at verse 12. He says, those that go by the wayside, are they that hear? Verse 13, they on the rock which they which they, uh, they on the rock are they which when they hear, verse 14, that which fell among the thorns and they which when they have heard. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard. How you listen will direct the course of your spiritual life. 
Listening is a skill that is often overlooked in the communication process. We could go through the principles of listening this morning. We're not doing that. But good listening is essential to right relationships. And a breakdown in relationship is often the result of poor listening. An effective hearer, an effective listener receives the word of God in the illustration of the soils and brings forth fruit. Authentic hearing allows scripture to take root in your heart and it is evidenced by outward conformity to God's commandments. However, poor listeners pay only attention to themselves. You ever, you ever talk to somebody? I, I, had a, I was talking to a, a friend once. And he was talk, 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 talk. And, and I would say something, he would just kind of look at the ceiling. And when I was done saying whatever I was saying, he'd pick up right where he left off, heard nothing that I said. Not a word. It was like, I could have said, your hair's on fire, and there's a, you know, there's a man who's about to rob you, and he would have just been, oh, are you done? Oh, good, because now I can just keep talking. That's not listening. That's not communication. That's a monologue. Nobody's interested in that. So a poor listener only pays attention to themselves as they talk and focus on formulating what they are going to say next in the conversation rather than listening to the other person actually speak. So good listening, good listeners are effective in relationships and in ministry, and we must listen to people, but it's more important that we listen to God. If you were to go through your Bible at some point, maybe you have a Bible program or something on your computer, you could search phrases like, hear the word of the Lord, and you're going to find hundreds of them. This call to listen, this call to pay attention, the kind of hearer that you are will reveal your spiritual condition. Listen to a couple of other verses, Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Some people have hardened their heart. They know what they believe, and they have become unteachable. They won't listen. Psalm 81, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Now, I want you to keep your finger in Luke, because we are going to get to that text in just a moment. But I want you to go to Psalm 106 for a moment. Psalm 106, and I want you to notice this psalm is, it's a lengthy psalm. We're not going to read through all of it, but there's 48-some verses in, in this psalm. But I want to read a few of them, and I want you to notice what the psalmist says, and, and, and we're going to emphasize verse 25, but begin reading with me in verse 6. Notice what the psalmist says. He says, we have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. We talked about that on Wednesday night. That he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also. It was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of them that hated them. And redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. 
and the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, and they sang his praise. Notice verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of, Ab- of, Ab- of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Then they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things at the Red Sea. Terrible meaning awesome or incredible. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them and not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach and turned away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. Why would they not believe? Why did they forget what God had done? Why did they fall into idolatry? Verse 25, but murmured in their tents and would not listen to the voice of the Lord. God was speaking, but man, they had closed their ears. They were not listening. And when they didn't listen, even though God had given to them divine revelation, even though God had done miraculous things through their nation and preserving them, bringing them out of Egypt and doing all of these great and wonderful things, why did they disobey? Because they stopped listening to God. Matthew 17 says this. You can go back to Luke, and I'll join you there in just a moment. Matthew 17 says this. And after six days, Jesus with him, Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared them unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is not good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You listen to God? I'm not talking about audible voices. I'm talking about, do you listen to his word? God has communicated to you everything that he wants you to know about him. He has communicated to you those things which he is calling you to obey. He is calling you these things that he wants for you to build your life on. And they're not hard to understand. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's pretty simple. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to say, to understand, husbands, love your wives. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand, husbands, respect, honor your husband. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't commit adultery. We get it. Simplistic, but hard to live. 
So we have to listen to God's word. And this morning, back in Luke 18, or 8, rather, verse 16, I want us to notice there's two ways, I believe, in this text that we are to listen to God. Number one, we must listen attentively. We have to listen attentively. Back in those verses that we read, in verse 16, he talks about, he uses this image of a lampstand. He's using this image of a light, the response to Jesus' message is of critical importance since he is the revealer of truth. And notice he uses this picture. He says, no man, when he has lighted a candle, cover it, covers it up with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but he sets it on a candlestick that they which enter may see the light. The purpose of this lamp was to illuminate a dark room in order to allow a person to see. This would have been a very easy understand, uh, un- picture for the people to understand. Archaeology clearly has demonstrated that cultures throughout, throughout the centuries, throughout the years, have used lamps to light their homes, to provide light during times of darkness. So they would have understood the picture. And the purpose of this teaching of the, these parables was not to obscure the truth and to prevent people from understanding, but to disclose whether the hearers will be receptive to the teachings or not. So Jesus, as he uses this picture, he uses a couple of very foolish things. He says, okay, you know that no man, when he lights a candle and lights the room, lights a lamp, that he's going to take it and cover it up with a vessel. Nobody's going to do that. It's going to cover up the light. The light won't be able to be seen. And not only that, the light is going to go out. Notice the next picture, he says, also, when you have lighted a candle or lit a candle, you're not going to put it under a bed. Now, don't think Tempur-Pedic mattress here, okay, or whatever kind of mattress you have. It's not putting it under, we live in a world of mattresses. This would have been a mat. It would have been more like a blanket. It was something that they could roll up and put, you know, someplace else in their house. And we know that one of the ways to put out a fire is to throw a blanket on it. He says you wouldn't take something and cover over this light and you wouldn't take a blanket and put it over the light because it would extinguish it. It would cover over the light that was trying to escape from this lamp. So Jesus makes the way of God available, but each person must choose how they are going to listen. Each person must choose how they are going to obey. Back in verse 10, Of that same chapter, Jesus said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. There are some that are going to receive the light and understand the light. There are others that are obstinate, and they will not understand the truth because they refuse to listen. They are unteachable. Now, for us, for us, there's an element of judgment in these verses, right? And we'll get to that when we get to verse 18 in a minute. But we are not capable of making a divine judgment on who will listen and who will not listen. That is not our place. But notice, Jesus says, these lamps were placed on a lampstand to bring light into dark places. The preaching of Christ was to shed light on man's sinful condition and calling people to repentance. The light of the gospel drives away the darkness of sin and calls people to the light. It illuminates their heart. Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid, that shall not be known come abroad. The light illuminates and exposes and reveals 
the true condition of the hearts of mankind. If you take those four soils, right, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when the light of the gospel comes into their life, some are just hard and they don't want to hear it, shut it down. Some have a giddy emotional response, but they're short-lived, they're not genuinely repentant, and the seed doesn't take root. The others are those that the matters of this world, yeah, I'll listen later, maybe I'll come to Jesus later in my life, but I got too much to live for right now. Not going to listen to that. One wouldn't hear at all. They were absolutely refusing to hear. One heard, got excited about it, but fizzled and didn't turn out to be a true believer. One heard and just wasn't a priority for them, so there's no fruit. Only the fourth one was a person that came to true repentance. They understood their sinful condition. The light of the gospel came into their heart. The gospel came in and took root in their heart. They heard, they understood, they repented, they believed, and their life produced fruit. There was evidence of their salvation. But notice in verse 17, he says that light illuminates and exposes and reveals the true condition of one's heart. Listen to a couple of verses 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. The counsels, the true motives of our heart. Revelation 2, 23, All that the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to to your works. Jesus did not present his teachings in secrecy. A secret thing will come to light. Therefore, Jesus is calling us to examine our hearts. Truth and light will manifest themselves and reveal what has been hidden in our hearts, and they will be exposed. His purpose is to reveal God's truth to show that even things that are hidden will be revealed. The light of God's word will shine in our hearts and reveal the hypocrisy that is there, the dishonesty that is there, those things that we are hiding and covering. They will be revealed. Luke 2, 12, verses 1 and 3. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were rampling one another, they're trampling over each other, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops you you may think that you are hiding sin in your life and no one is ever going to find out and jesus says the light of my truth the light of my gospel nothing is secret can i say the name ashley madison How many of those people believe? Oh, it's online. It's on the internet. It must be safe. It must be secure. I can go out, commit adultery, or at least begin the process of committing adultery and will never be discovered. Really? Christianity Today, in an article this week, suggests that this morning there are approximately 400 pastors and church leaders who are resigning because their name was on the list. 
You can think you're hiding it. You can think in your heart, no one will find out. Oh, the gospel will reveal it. Your sin will find you out. The truth will be known. Jesus is saying, come clean. Repent. Come to the light of the gospel. Listen. Have you ever talked with somebody watching them throw their lives away and you've sat and you've begged and you've urged and you've pleaded with them, please, don't do this. And they looked you in the face and said, I'm doing it anyway. And they do. And then, at some point in time in the future, how does it go for them? Not well. Because sin doesn't work that way. Sin's going to be exposed. It's going to be found out. We have to understand that God's truth, while it is penetrating our hearts, and there are those who are rejecting it, one day even the word of God will be exposed to all people. And then he comes to verse 18, and he says this this urgent thing. Take heed, therefore, how you listen The word that is translated take heed comes from the Greek word blepo, which means simply to see. But it means to discern, to turn your thoughts or direct your mind to a thing, to weigh it heavily, to consider it, to examine it. He says you have to be careful how you hear. Listen to the word of God. Heed it. Listen attentively so it can change your life. Since the word of God is not hidden. The responsibility to hear is on the hearer. He says at the end of verse 18, Whatsoever hath to him shall be given, and whatsoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. This introduces again the idea of God's judgment, the emphasis being ultimately on the end time judgment. But there is also an application of the gospel being proclaimed now. The one who receives God's word and obeys God's word will receive more. The one who has knowledge of the word of God will understand it more. But the one who does not listen, the one who does not carefully receive God's word and attentively listen to God's word, loses what he thought he had obtained. He says at the end of verse 18, he says, from him it shall be taken even that which he thought he had. In other words, if somebody is blind to the truth and they're obstinate, they will not listen, there is an ultimate judgment in their life that they will never see. When I was growing up, the pastor I grew up under um, was actually blind. This isn't a joke, okay? Did you hear about the one about the blind pastor? No, it's not a joke, okay? True, true, true story pastor I grew up with um, under, he was, he was blind, and so he lived in a parsonage right next door to the church, and so we would, they had painted on the parking lot this, these lines that people were not supposed to park there, and so that was his way to get over to the church. Well, you know, there were visitors would come sometimes and park there, and he would inadvertently run into the car, and it was kind of a, you know, he was funny. He was a good, lighthearted man, so he thought it was funny, but he, he worked in, he had a wood shop, and he would make stuff. And so I remember one day my brother Wayne and I are over, over at the church doing something, and, and um, we called him Uncle Bob is what we called him. 
And uh, he says, hey, want, you guys want to come over and see what I'm building? I'm like, yeah, it'd be great. So we walk into his workshop. There was no windows in the thing at all, no outside light. And so we walk in, he, and he, lets, he opens the door, door for us, and we walk in, and he comes in and shuts the door, and it is absolutely pitch black. And my brother says, well, Uncle Bob, you better turn on the light so you can see something. And I elbowed him. I'm like, you can't see. What's wrong with you? You've known him forever. This is one of those little slips, right? But, but that's the picture. There are people that are so blind and so obstinate, even when the light comes on, they can't see. Why? Because they refuse to listen. It's like God's word is calling you, the light of the gospel is coming into your life, but you are refusing to hear what God has to say to you. Let's make some applications of this and understand what this means in our lives. There's there's three of them here. Number one, application of this would be true salvation is the result of hearing and receiving the word of God. Salvation is not the result of good works. It's not the result of being born into the right family, which we'll talk about in a moment. But some of the disciples did not remain faithful. Why? Because they did not authentically receive the light of the gospel. Many walked away and proved themselves to be inauthentic. John talks about that. He says, there are some that went out from among us. Why? Because they were never of us. They had heard it. They had made some kind of profession, but it was not genuine. Judas would be an example. Here's a man who spent his life around Christ, heard his preaching, saw his ministry, claimed to be a follower, but at the end of his life, he proved and demonstrated himself to be inauthentic. Salvation only comes through receiving the word, hearing the word, believing the word, and allowing the word of God to take root in your life and in your heart so that you will produce fruit. I I am very careful to never talk someone out of their salvation. However, However, if your life is not producing the fruits of the Spirit... If there is not external evidence of your salvation, works can't save you, being a good person can't save you, but if you are genuinely, authentically a believer in Christ, the seed of the word of God will infiltrate the soil of your heart and it will take root and it will grow and it will mature and there will be evidence of your authentic salvation. Jesus says that there are some that when they hear the light of the gospel, they refuse to listen for salvation. They won't believe. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We know that from the heart, one believes. Yes, we profess with our mouth and we confess Christ as our Savior, but from the heart, one hears and listens and receives the word of God, the light of the gospel, and they hear and they listen. So take heed, therefore, how you listen. Second application would be this. Jesus' teaching brings light to the dark world, and his people are called to proclaim the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation compels us to share the gospel story. 
Salvation compels us to take the light of the gospel and to proclaim it and to show it to the world in which we live. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a royal nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is your responsibility to show others the light of the gospel, being salt and light. And by the way, when we go into the culture in which we live, Cork did a great job documenting this morning how our culture doesn't want to hear truth. It doesn't want to be exposed to truth. But so often how we live our lives in this lost and dark world is a light and a beacon in the midst of hurt and, and, and desperation in the midst of darkness. Our lives are to be light, showing them not just with our works, but with our words, telling them about Christ. Those who are stumbling in the darkness of this world can only be rescued by hearing and receiving the light of the gospel. There is hope. And the hope is found in Christ. The hope is found in the light of God's word. And we are his ambassadors. We are called to teach and we are called to reflect the light of the gospel. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are you doing that? You doing that? Are you allowing the gospel to take root in your life so that you can be light to the community in which we live? We are to share the gospel. To reflect the light of Christ's teaching means that you have to be filled with the light. It is not our job to conceal it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear widespread, proclaim on the housetops. We are called to proclaim it, Philippians 2, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we do that? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You are, notice the the word, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. It doesn't say be outside of it. It doesn't say to isolate yourself from it. It says to be in the middle of it, not looking like it, but showing yourself to be light. When people look at the life of a believer, there should be evidence of the salvation that is yours. You should be light in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. The third application would be this, is that Jesus' teaching brings light to our darkened hearts. Yes, if you are a believer in Christ, you are born again, you are eternally secure in Christ, but there is sin that is in some of our hearts that still needs to be exposed by the light of the gospel. Psalm 90, verse 8, you have set your iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. John eight twelve. then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We don't have time, but John 8, if you want to look it up later, as he deals with this sinful woman, he forgives her, but he calls her to change. He says to her, go and sin no more. Okay, Go and sin no more. Truth is never cruel, Okay, but love doesn't, isn't dishonest. We live in a culture that believes love just overlooks sin, doesn't deal with it, doesn't confront it. Jesus did. In fact, when he confronted her sin, he ended it pretty strongly. Now, don't go do that anymore. Our sin will be exposed. You've heard this statement. I'm not a big quote guy slash statements that have been said repetitively, but this one bears repeating. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. No one ever knows when that first step towards sin will catch up with us and destroy our lives. That is why we should never allow the first step to ever be taken. A half-hearted approach to to obedience to God flirts with sin and leaves the door open that a first step will come into that person's life and allow them to set a course in their life that will bring destruction. Freedom in Christ is not a license to sin. Jesus calls us, he says, be holy as I am holy. It's not a question, it's not an option. Holiness is a divine call and an expectation of every true believer. And yet in our hearts, we somehow expect sin to bring joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment. But our expectations are wrong. You know what you should expect from sin? You should expect sin to kill you. To destroy your life to ruin your career, to kill your marriage, to break the hearts of your children. If sin brings this destruction, if sin destroys lives, anything that kills is not worth playing around with. Before we take that first step toward a sinful decision, we should remember that this decision could kill me. There are dire consequences for failing to respond to Christ's word. One bad decision can ruin your life. I wonder, I wonder. The first time some of those people sat down at the computer and punched in Ashley Madison, I wonder how many many of them the first time said, oh, I, what am I doing? Closed it. But then they went back a second time. Put their name in. I don't know how it works, but it, I assume you have to pay is what it sounds like. Put in your personal information. They launch it out there. Maybe there was a moment, ah, oh, man, that was dumb. Shouldn't have Then they went back again, found somebody interesting, whatever. How many of them committed adult? I don't know, but where did that begin? The first time, www, whatever the the website is, I assume ashleymadison.com, whatever it is. There it is. The first time it opened the door. 
And for some reason in this culture of, well, it's just all about grace. We don't have to worry about obedience. That is why the lives of people and the homes of Christians are being destroyed. Because we took the first step. He says, take heed. Will you examine my word? Will you examine what I said to you? And listen, because the light of the gospel will save your soul, but the light will also expose who you are, and it will expose the darkness that is hiding in your soul. Now, that's either good news or bad. Because if the light of the gospel comes in and reveals sin to me and I repent and I, and I come before Christ and I ask for forgiveness and I correct the, the path that I'm going on, praise God. But there are times that the light of the gospel is going to pierce your soul and rather than bringing you to repentance, it will bring you to uh, destruction. So do you listen to God's word attentively? One is wise to carefully evaluate the teaching of Jesus and spread the light of his word to this dark world. Very quickly, and last, the last point, the second point would be this. We must hear obediently. And for sake of time, I'll just read through these verses, make a couple of comments about it, and draw our attention just to a couple of things. Look what it says in verse 19. Then came his mother and his brethren and could not come into him for the press. Okay, not, not, like, not like the news media press. That's not what I was talking about. I was talking about there's a crowd. Now, now Luke doesn't Luke doesn't reveal for us what the what the purpose was. Um, we don't know, but but Mark says it this way. He says that when he went home and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, "You're out of your mind." So whatever reason, they came, it seems, that his family comes to rescue him. They want to get him out of this situation. They think, man, what? Remember, his brothers at this point, they don't believe. They, they, they don't have faith in Christ. They don't believe until after the resurrection. So at this point, they're unbelievers. And so they come, and they're, they're asking questions and wanting to find Jesus. And notice that Joseph isn't mentioned. He's likely dead by this point. And so he says, it says in verse 19, they can't get into him, verse 20, and it was told to him by certain which said, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see you. Someone comes into Christ and says, hey, your family's outside, they want to talk to you. Notice his response, and he answered and he said unto them, my mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God and what? What's the last two words? And do it. Now he's not putting down family, we know that even at the time of his crucifixion, Jesus showed great compassion in committing his mother Mary to the care of John, which is further indication that Joseph was already dead. It, it wasn't an indication that he wasn't saying that family isn't important, that one shouldn't um, honor their father and mother. But we also know that where Jesus said in Luke 14, which we'll get to at some point, he says this, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now what he's talking about is by comparison. 
He's saying that every relationship in my life, the primary one, is Jesus Christ. My primary relationship is to be about Christ, not even my wife, not even my children. My primary relationship is about the Lord. And he says, those people that listen to me, they listen attentively. And not only do they listen attentively, but they listen obediently. He says it's not just enough to listen. It is those who do it. If you obey God, it brings you into a close, intimate, personal relationship with God. Now, many people would say this. They would say that to draw close to Christ, it's through prayer and reading your Bible. Good, that's true. But Jesus says the way to be close to him, even close as his own family, is through being receptive of his word and doing it. Obeying it. True believers hear the word of God. They listen to it. They do it. They don't study God's word to know about it. They don't study God's word to win the Bible quiz competition. They don't study God's word to simply memorize it for a test in school. They study God's word to actually live it, to actually do it. What I find is very often people are more interested in information than transformation. They love Bible studies and and accumulating information and and all this stuff coming in their life. Are you interested in information or transformation? Do not listen. Do you listen to the word of God with the intention of obeying it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus said. 1 John 2, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So my question for you as we close is this. What kind of listener are you? What kind of listener are you? Like, I don't know. I've been asleep this whole time. I'm kidding. What kind of listener are you? Are, are you? are you attentive? Are you careful to examine God's word? Are you careful to understand what Jesus actually said? Not interested in what I hope it says or what I wish it said or what I, as one writer said, jolly well know ought to be there. Or do I take what Jesus actually said and understand it and listen attentively? And then do I listen to God's word obediently? I do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Quote it. And then go treat people unkindly. James said, don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Love your wife as your own body. You can say it, but do I live it? Wives, show honor to your husband. I know it, but do I do it? Children, obey your parents. Show honor to your father and mother. You can quote it, you know it, but do you do it? The question isn't what you know. The question is, how are you listening? And how are you obeying what God is calling you to do? We are to listen to God, and we are to listen to his word, 
attentively and obediently so that the word of God can come into our lives and produce spiritual fruit. Let's pray.